The following presentation by Monument Wealth Management LLC is intended for general information purposes only. Please listen to additional important disclosures at the end of this presentation. Welcome to Off the Wall, a podcast aimed at helping you answer the question, what is the point of my wealth? And what steps can I take to make that vision a reality? With over 25 years of combined experience in wealth management, David Armstrong, co-founder of Monument Wealth Management, and Jessica Gibbs, vice president and partner at Monument, are skilled at helping people think through these challenging but important questions. Interested in learning more? Connect with us on Instagram, at Monument Wealth, and follow along at MonumentWealthManagement.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave and Jessica. Welcome to this episode of Off the Wall. Today is going to be a little bit different because today I have with me Aaron Hay from Monument Wealth Management instead of my standard co-host Jessica Gibbs. But the reason Aaron's here today is we have a special guest and we're going to be talking about some very specific portfolio management strategies with our guest today. But I'll start off by saying that today's episode is sponsored by the Nickel and Nickel 2019 Cabernet that Aaron and I had last night, maybe one glass too many at a client meeting last night. A lot of fun. But the reason I bring that up is because, Aaron, you and I had a really interesting conversation with one of our clients last night. And his comment was, hey, I love the podcast and I love the guests that come on, but I would really love it if there was just a little bit more specific conversations about what you guys are doing with the portfolios. And it just so happens that it was fortuitous that he said that the day before we were recording this podcast. We're recording in December. Listeners probably won't hear this until January. We're coming into the Christmas season here. But this episode is going to hit on his request that he brought up last night. And today we're going to talk about the Monument Wealth Management TRIO portfolio, which stands for Tax Rebalanced Index Optimized. And that is powered by the O'Shaughnessy Asset Management, or OSAM, Canvas portfolio platform. And so today we have Pat McStay, who's an associate director at O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. They're out of Connecticut. And Pat, you work with RIAs like Monument and also family offices who leverage the OSAM Canvas Direct Indexing Technology Platform. And for those listeners not familiar with what that is or as a refresher for our clients, Canvas is the portfolio management software solution that allows Monument to create customized portfolios which track the performance of selected indexes. Like, so for example, the Russell 3000. All right, great. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. Investors have a couple different choices. Let's just say that you really want to track the performance of the Russell 3000. Well, you can go out and buy an ETF that tracks the Russell 3000, right? You can try to buy and manage 3000 stocks (laughs) and weight them accordingly. It's essentially impossible, which is why you always hear the disclaimer like, this is an index and can't be replicated. You've all seen those kind of disclosures if you know what I'm talking about. Or a third option is something like the Monument Trio strategy that uses the Canvas platform to actually construct a basket of individual securities that's way less than 3,000 stocks, but then is weighted and invested in a way that will mimic the performance of the Russell 3000 index with, with a little bit of a tracking error in there, but that's, that's the goal. Okay, big deal, great. Congratulations, Monument. You can mimic the Russell 3000 index with less than 3,000 stocks. So what? Okay, well, here's the so what. The benefit to that TRIO portfolio through the use of Canvas is that some securities in that basket, when it's purchased, will invariably trade at a loss after they're purchased. And then the Canvas software platform will go find another security that acts exactly the same way and will replace that stock that has an unrealized loss by realizing that loss and then replace it with a new security. So an example would be, You have Home Depot in that basket. 
you buy it, trades at a loss, sell it, and you buy Lowe's, kind of a good example. It automates the loss harvesting and it does it in a way that avoids the wash sale rule violations while also closely tracking that Russell 3000 index. And then another benefit is that the trio through the use of Canvas can either unwind existing securities from another portfolio strategy that get brought into this and those existing securities may have really large embedded unrealized gains. And so this strategy can be used to unwind those securities by offsetting the gains with losses taken in other securities in the basket, or the strategy can be funded and started from scratch with cash and then just used to track the Russell 3000 index, all while accumulating losses over time that can be carried forward indefinitely and used in the future. So quick background on what we're about to talk about today, but Aaron, with that intro, I know you had some questions for Pat to kind of kick things off and be a little bit of an icebreaker and let Pat introduce himself. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Dave, for having me on. And thank you to Pat for coming down from Connecticut to join us. I know that train ride's always an adventure, so thank you. But before we dive into some questions and unpack a lot of what Dave just introduced for us, we've got some hard-hitting stuff for you. Yeah, here it comes. Put your analyst hat on. All right, awesome. Okay. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. So it's typically going to be between Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2 with a potential third category of Christmas Vacation. All three are excellent choices in their own right, but I think I have to go with Home Alone 2. Okay. Yeah. Strong choice. Classic. All right. like that. This question number two, what was your favorite present receiving as a child? Present. Oh, wow. So I'll never forget opening up. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but the original Nintendo platform It was something that my sisters and I really wanted badly growing up. And unwrapping that present on Christmas morning was just an incredible feeling of of magic. And yeah, even 30 years later, I can still remember the sense of excitement and magic and seeing that. Great answer. I'm actually in that category too. My personal was my Nintendo 64 with GoldenEye 64. Yeah, here's where I sound really old. Mine was the Atari 2600 with the old joystick (laughs) and the red button on it. Yeah, right. And the Pong, it had Pong and Biplane and anybody my age is going to know what I'm talking about. So yeah. All right, Pat, well, you talked about unwrapping gifts. Here's your final question. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at wrapping presents? Oh gosh. So a scale of one to 10, I'm going to conservatively put myself at about a two. Fortunately, I have my lovely wife. There's a 10 out of 10 on that. And so I essentially outsource all wrapping to my wife to handle that. That's fair. I'm, I'd have to say I come in definitely shy of two. I'm probably more on the one scale. So I would ask for some negative. I would ask on a scale from negative five to 10, where do you fall? Because I would give myself a negative five. Yeah, it's nice. just ridiculous. Yeah, if you could go negative for I sure. Just, I get one of those recyclable Amazon bags with the drawstring at the top and I just go for that. That's that, my, that's my that tactic. Too? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's yeah. what I'm doing now. I'm right? in that camp right? as well. Yeah. It's good. Well, that's great. So let's dive into some stuff here. So Pat, you're with O'Shaughnessy, which for listeners and for for clients, you might hear us reference OSAM. That's what we're we're talking about there. And Dave, in the intro, you use these terms, direct indexing. You might also hear something called custom indexing, or God forbid, we get into some more, I'm going to call them wonky terms, factor-based. Yeah, factor-based. Investing. Good, Good term. Good term. So here at Monument, we're all about plain English, but we're also about bringing in experts to help us unpack these things. So 
Pat, like, let's just talk in plain English and we can go back and forth on this. What is direct indexing? How do you guys at O'Shaughnessy and at Canvas talk about direct indexing with clients? Right. Explain it to me like I'm a golden retriever. We'll do. We'll do. So I think to understand what direct indexing is, let's use a very simplistic example. If you were to take a look at the largest ETF in the world, the SPY ETF, it basically is one security that underneath that wrapper owns 500 individual securities. It provides incredible diversification at a really cheap price. But what if we could, through software, allow clients to own essentially the 500 stocks that underlie the SPY ETF and allow them to customize for preferences like, I don't want to own Wells Fargo. Well, I can eliminate that stock from the 500 that I'm owning. And also, Dave, to your point about how stocks at some point during the year often are down from a return perspective, to quantify that, on average, based on our research, about 31% of stocks at some point during the year are down. And owning the underlying stocks allows us to actually sell those stocks, book that loss, create that tax asset, replace that stock with another similar name, and continue to manage the portfolio within a range of difference. Right. That's my Home Depot, Lowe's kind of example, exactly. like Coke or Pepsi or something exactly. like that. Right. That kind of leads into our, our next question on how it works. We talked about Home Depot, Lowe's, Coke and Pepsi. Dave, I know that's one of your favorites. Bye. Yeah, but I'm going to shift it to Home Depot and Lowe's now. I just, I don't know why. I'm, I'm getting tired of the Coke and Pepsi. All right, I'm yeah, going to have to upgrade just, my I'm vernacular just, on this. I, I'm just saying like it's, we're heading into a new year. You know, let's, let's change things up a little bit. I like that. It doesn't have to be as simple and I guess linear as replacing Home Depot with Lowe's. And that's sort of where the magic of Canvas comes into play and how this works. And the concept that we are discussing here is actually quite simple, but the underlying software, the technology that underpins all of this can be quite complex. And this is actually why we rely on our partners at O'Shaughnessy and Canvas to help us unpack this. So how does this work, Pat? As we just said, it doesn't necessarily have to be we're going to sell Home Depot and buy Lowe's. It could be we're going to sell Home Depot and go buy a basket of stocks that seemingly have no relationship to one another. Exactly, exactly. So it's a very in-depth process that we've spent the last several decades building and perfecting. And to give you a sense on, on how sophisticated the approach is, we call it an optimization process, which basically looks at Coke to stick with that example, Dave, that, that you used. It's still 2022. We're recording exactly, this. Exactly. We're We've got a couple right. weeks. Yeah. So we're going to take a look at Coke through a number of different lenses. So we'll look at its characteristics, its factor scores. We'll look at what sector it's in. We'll look at its geographic distribution, its sensitivity to interest rate changes, commodities inputs, etc. It's actually 51 different individual metrics to assess and determine what names are closest to Coke. And so we like to use the example of Coke versus Pepsi to give a sense of what's happening. But when you look under the hood, it's a much more involved, sophisticated approach that we've spent a, a long time perfecting. Right. So it doesn't necessarily need to be, okay, Coke and Pepsi, I'll still use Coke and Pepsi then. Coke and Pepsi, they both make soda, right? Or pop or wherever you're from. It needs to be Coke acts like this by looking at, would you say, 52 different characteristics or... It's 51. 51 different things and trying to find another security that closely mimics those 51 things. It could end up being Wells Fargo 
I mean, not likely because they're not, but you're not trying to match something that's exactly similar from you walk in the store and it looks the same. It's those 51 things that really matter. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it could be Coke and Pepsi. It could be Coke and then ExxonMobil. If those 51 things were very similar to each other and the stocks act the same way. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. So you, you brought up the term factors here and we kind of glossed over it a little bit. I do think it would be helpful just to, in plain English, you know, what factors are because this is where I think the approach that we take here at Monument and one of the reasons that we rely on the Canvas platform in O'Shaughnessy is we don't just use the TRIO platform, which as Dave said, stands for Tax Rebalance Index Optimized. Taxes are definitely a big component. So we've already sort of laid out you can go sell Pepsi at a loss, book that for your taxes, buy Coke. But we just talked about factors. What exactly is a factor? I think we, we internally here at Monument, and I hope we don't do this with clients, where we just sort of gloss over you know, what factors are we take for granted that people know what, like, what is a factor with a stock? How would you unpack that for someone? You know, what are stock factors? Sure. Yeah, great. So factors are characteristics. They are things like price to earnings, EBITDA to enterprise value, dividend yield. They're characteristics that we can use to evaluate what stocks have given investors an edge over longer periods of time. And our team has spent decades in studying which factors, which characteristics, and which combination of factors have given investors those edges over longer periods of time. That's a good explanation for factors. It's just the basic characteristics, common groupings for stocks. Right. Yeah, I like that you said like, it's DNA. That's a great way to think about it. And to continue that analogy, you know, we all have DNA that lead us to be a certain height, a certain health. Stocks have certain characteristics that have led them to outperform over longer periods of time. And our firm has been an ongoing research project to determine which of those factors we should use to screen stocks in and which factors we should use to avoid large swaths of, of the universe. So that is an, a very important value proposition to the Canvas offering. So that does bring up a good point. We've talked about two, the related concepts, but different ways of execution. Dave, during your introduction, you talked about something as basic as the Russell 3000 or the S&P 500. I think most people listening know what the S&P is, 500 companies, and you can buy them in their, their appropriate weights. For some clients, not all, of course, it might just be appropriate to have an allocation to something as simple as the S&P 500, but to be very tax aware along the way. Again, pulling out those losses when stocks pull back. Pat, I think you said in any given year, what was it, 31%, 31 yep. of stocks are going to be down during the year. So using that to your advantage. For other clients, and again, this is governed by clients, private wealth design, their individual plans. It might be more beneficial for a client instead of having just basic, we call it passive S&P 500, Russell 3000 type exposure to where we are more aggressively, and I'm, I'm using air quotes there, or we are more consciously tilting a portfolio to a factor, right? So it's not necessarily just the S&P 500. It would be stocks that are in the S&P 500 but have those common characteristics, those factors, such as price momentum, which we can talk about that a little bit, but price momentum is definitely a factor 
It is an empirically tested. It's, I believe, Pat, and you, you guys are the experts at, at OSAM on this, but Momentum, I think Eugene Fama, who came up with the efficient markets hypothesis, has said Momentum, which we'll ask Pat here in a second, Momentum is, is known as the premier anomaly, the premier unexplained factor. So that's two different ways we can use these types of portfolios. It can be for just basic S&P core stock exposure, or it can be really to tilt a portfolio to a factor that over longer periods of time has shown the ability for a client to outperform the broader markets. Yep. And I think that's part of the beauty of the platform. It's the ability to customize the amount of index replication and the factor tilts that you want your portfolio to have. And to do that all within the user interface is a really compelling part of the offering. And I know we'll talk about customizing the portfolio further for topics like taxes or even personal preferences. But yeah, you're spot on. The ability to customize how much exposure to a certain factor is a very important part of the platform. So let's riff on that a little bit more. Let's talk about benefits, opportunities, or we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about even some limitations, right, of these types of strategies. No strategy is perfect. We all know that. But let's just have a more of a conversation about what some of the the other benefits aside from taxes are, again, we're pulling out certain terms. You're going to hear these along the way. Direct indexing, index replication, factor-based portfolios. So outside of taxes, what are some of the benefits of using these types of portfolios and using the Canvas platform? I think you had mentioned something about being able to exclude certain stocks or if you have certain preferences that you want to express. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's come at that question in terms of customization. And customization can come in, in a number of different ways. ESG is one part of that. I think we might touch on that a little bit more in a few moments. But customization in terms of, of managing the portfolio around securities that you either have that you want to bend the portfolio around and to go down that, that route for just a moment Imagine a client or prospect that you have that, that maybe is an officer at a company and they hold a, a large concentrated position in their company stock. They want to build a portfolio that is taking that concentrated stock into consideration. They obviously don't want to add to that concentration and they don't want to hold stocks that are similar to that concentrated position. So we can take that trio portfolio and bend it around and take into consideration that concentrated security so we're not adding to that concentrated risk. That's a really important concept here. I think what you're describing, oftentimes you'll hear complaints about portfolios and investment managers that you're just going to put me into a cookie cutter portfolio, a one size fits all. What this really says to me and why we really like using the Canvas platform for our clients is this is truly a one size fits one. There are no clients at Monument that had the same type of trio portfolio because every client's investment allocation is expressed differently because not all portfolios start from cash. We know this. So if you're a, a business owner or someone who has been investing in the markets for a while or has a concentrated stock position based off of working at a publicly traded companies, chances are if you're looking to invest your portfolio with a, another investment manager, you're not going to be bringing someone 
fresh cash, you're going to have an existing portfolio of individual stocks. It could be exchange-traded funds, ETFs, or mutual funds. And to us, and I think for clients, it doesn't make sense to wholesale sell out of something that actually might be a pretty decent portfolio. It doesn't, at least to us, and I think to clients, it doesn't make sense to sell something that might already be pretty good. But on top of that, in doing so, you would realize a lot of taxable gains in doing that. Right. And I'll even give you another example. And Pat, you probably see this or hear this a lot too. But when we get new clients that come in from another advisory relationship, to your point, they already have a portfolio. And one of the biggest obstacles or one of the biggest concerns, pain points, I'll call it, that a new client will express to us is, if I decide to come over to Monument, are you going to sell the entire portfolio that I have to put it into one of your other models? Because as our clients know, but maybe listeners don't, we run other models here besides the TRIO model, right? Outside the scope of this conversation. But so our answer is we don't have to. As a matter of fact, we probably won't because what we can do is we can import that existing portfolio with all of the cost basis that a client has, bring it in, code it as, tr- that's a technical term, sorry, but like allocate it to the TRIO portfolio, use Canvas and the software platform to say, okay, given this basket of stocks that we have just imported and really importantly, its existing cost basis, we would like you, I'm using my air quotes here because I'm talking to a computer. We would like you, Mr. Computer, HAL 2000, right? Okay, we want you to mimic the performance of the S&P 500, just right, basic. And HAL will come back and say, well, if you want me to make this portfolio act like the S&P 500, I'm just gonna make up a, a really dramatic example here. You just imported 30 stocks that are made up of two sectors of the S&P 500 energy and healthcare, right? Let's just say. And Hal is going to say, all right, well, if you really want this thing to act like the biggest component of the S&P 500 is technology, so I've got to add technology stocks in here. And the computer will do its best job to try to add, trim some positions that are already at a loss or something like that, and get it going like that. And then over time, Hal is going to keep trying to come in and say, I just keep needing to move this portfolio around. You keep nudging it more towards the S&P 500. And thankfully, you know, one of the securities that was imported is now trading at a loss. And I can tell that. Or one of the new stocks that I bought in the technology sector is actually trading at a loss. So I can offset. And eventually, Hal will make it look like the S&P 500 without really incurring a huge tax liability to the client. And that's a huge advantage to people coming in because if other advisor shops don't use this sort of direct indexing program, the most likely answer that a new client's going to get is, yeah, I'll have to sell out of everything because this isn't my portfolio. It doesn't just have to be with individual stocks, though. And that's the beauty here. So, Pat, let's talk about this a little bit. Canvas can actually use existing, not just stocks as Dave laid out, you know, you brought in 30 individual stocks. This can be done with existing exchange traded funds, ETFs, or even mutual funds. So how does that work at a high level? Like, can Canvas actually look under the hood of the exchange traded fund or the mutual fund to determine what's in those funds? Yeah, like, like x-ray it. 
So X-ray is actually the term we use. Okay, um, you're also allowed to use HAL 2000 if you want I, to. I love go that. Ahead, I love that right analogy. Yes. I actually am going to use okay. that. <laughs> so, Aaron, you're totally right. Our optimizer, that engine that uses 51 different metrics to assess how different stocks are relative to the model that we're optimizing towards, that optimizer has the ability to look through wrappers, whether they're ETF wrappers or mutual fund wrappers, and we can actually see some of the underlying securities in those strategies. And that's an important differentiator for Canvas is is that we can see what's under the hood, for lack of a better term, and optimize around that, which a lot of our competitors cannot do. So we've talked about some of the benefits and even opportunities. I think some of the benefits we've talked about is, of course, taxes, being tax aware for clients who are are hugely tax sensitive or clients that have existing portfolios that, believe it or not, might have a lot of really good things in them that we would want to, in essence, move around at the margins. Let's talk about some limitations, though. Like we talked about who this might be good for. Who would this not necessarily be? You know, if you had a client that said, you know what, this might not be a great fit. A canvas optimized portfolio might not be the best fit for this type of person. What would you say? Yeah, so I think from a a limitation perspective, the fact that it's an SMA vehicle kind of limits who it's appropriate for. And by that, I mean the smallest account size we can accept on the platform is 250,000. And so it's currently relegated to that high net worth, ultra high net worth clientele. But hopefully as technology continues to advance and topics like fractional share trading become more and more commonplace, Hopefully that minimum account size will be able to be reduced and we can open up the platform to a wider audience. But I would say that's the major limitation currently we're up against. Okay. Just to back up for a second, little jargon alert, SMA for listeners stands for separately managed account. So that's just industry terminology there for you. So let's kind of take this back and we're going to talk a little bit about the history and the inspiration behind Canvas and at O'Shaughnessy at OSAM. I think clients, they know there are definitely different access the markets. And by markets here, we mean, for the most part, stocks, although this can be applied to different asset classes, to bonds or fixed income. But for our purposes here, we're talking mainly about stocks. And I think of the evolution of how our clients have invested in the markets would be back in the day, mutual funds were sort of the hot new, technology is not the right word, but mutual funds definitely came back into vogue. They came into vogue several decades ago, slowly but very surely, and we're still going this direction. And you're seeing a lot of mutual fund companies actually convert their mutual funds into an exchange-traded fund wrapper, which for, as our clients know, exchange-traded funds have characteristics of individual stocks in that they are traded on an exchange and you can see them priced throughout the day but they're also pooled investment vehicles like a mutual fund. And now we're seeing things go from exchange-traded funds into these type of direct indexing or factor-based portfolios like what Canvas does. So what do you see kind of on the horizon? Do you see this type of way of investing, again, direct indexing, factor-based investing? What inning are we in with this type of evolution of accessing the markets? Yeah, I think we're in the early to mid innings. I think people are more and more accustomed to having customized solutions for more and more aspects of their lives, whether it's customized clothes, houses, 
many other variations. And I think their investment portfolio is, is no different. And as technology continues to grow and enable different aspects, I think that more and more clients will demand some sort of customization to be ingrained into their investment portfolio. And you'll see more and more of a move towards this concept of direct indexing or, or where Canvas is. You know, we, we in, invented the category of, of custom indexing, which is just the next iteration after direct indexing. And if you look at some of the industry experts, what their opinions are, you know, Cerulli and Associates estimates that this sector will grow at a little bit more than, than 12% per year over the next five years, which is the largest growth area in the wealth management space. So I certainly think we're in the early to middle innings. And, you know, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, our, our CEO, speaks about how, you know, in five years, he thinks this will be where most of the industry is, is at. It's, it's funny you bring up Patrick O'Shaughnessy, which great podcast, by the way. Invest like the best if you've, if you've never heard of that podcast. Brings on some really interesting guests, does business breakdowns. So definitely a good podcast outside of Off the Wall if you're looking for something here in the, in the new year to check yeah, out. Listen to that one second. After this one. After this right. one, I of mean, course. Right. Don't, don't yes, drop but this it's now. It's a good second. It's a good, yeah. Yeah. There's a really good video on YouTube, actually. And this is going to sort of rewrap what we've already talked about here. But Patrick was asked, I can't remember who, I think it was Howard Lindzen, who stock twits, is he the creator? Sure. I believe yep. he's the creator of that. Just asking about what Canvas is, like the inspiration for Canvas, how it came about. And I think he might have even asked, where Canvas sort of sits in in the, the O'Shaughnessy family. So I know we're kind of going in reverse order. Can we just talk about the history of Canvas and how that's spawned out of O'Shaughnessy and you know why you guys are doing this and why this platform has become such a good tool for clients? Yeah, that question often comes up when I'm speaking to clients and I, I say, you know, I've been with O'Shaughnessy Asset Management for the last eight years but Canvas is, is only about three years old. So invariably, the question leads to, well, what were you doing in those five years prior? And we were essentially delivering Stylebox-specific strategies to our end clients, whether it's large value, small value, international. We were plugging a hole in clients' portfolios. And we had spent the last three decades perfecting that art of, I mentioned, our expertise in, in factors and figuring out which combination of factors will give investors an edge. And we kind of got to the point where we said, most of our clients are pairing us with some sort of index replication. Why don't we create a platform that allows them to pair passive with our proprietary factor strategies, do so via a web-based user interface, and allow them to create those customized portfolio solutions to their clients' exact specifications. And then layer over that individual tax preferences and maybe even customize for things like ESG or in Howard Lindzen's case, I think he just particularly didn't want to own Wells Fargo. And so give me the ability to kick Wells out of my portfolio as well. Yeah, you said the ability to customize and talking about going back to these these factors. I like to talk about the trio strategies that we have using Canvas as such, which is we have access to really good investment strategies that are not completely dependent on taxes. Taxes are definitely a big part of the equation, but it's not the end-all be-all. 
as Pat, you've talked about, there's various different factors, which could be a podcast in and of its own, which we can talk about. We, we often talk about this with individual clients and their portfolios, but actually having access and the ability to execute consistently, very mechanically, again, it's not just a one-time thing, but being able to implement the momentum factor over and over and doing that in a very thoughtful manner and having the ability on top of that to pull out tax losses along the way, to have some sort of a environmental social governance preference if a client has that sort of a preference. So it's, it's not just a tax thing. Taxes are definitely a component here, but these are good investment strategies. Yeah. We say this at Monument all the time, right? So here's my disclaimer. Unfiltered opinion, straightforward advice. Here's some Dave Armstrong unfiltered opinion. Doesn't mean you need to agree with it. Aaron, you don't even need to agree with it. This is just me. I don't love the ESG thing. Clients ask about it all the time. I'm not a fan. I'm not saying that if you're doing it, you're doing something wrong. I'm just saying that I don't love it. And here's an example of why I don't love it. People will say, I'm going to pick on the oil industry for a second. Right, Aaron, because you know I like to pick on the oil industry, right? We were talking before about the person who doesn't like Wells Fargo. I'm the ExxonMobil hater, right? (laughs) Because every time I've bought that or the energy ETF in the past, I've always been on the losing end of the timing of that investment. So that's the inside joke with Aaron and I. But I'll use the energy sector as an example. Somebody will say, hey, ESG, I'm going to hire a manager. And that manager will say, like, well, the big evil oil industries, right? Just not my opinion, just saying it. I don't want those in my portfolio, ESG, right? Okay. 75% of the ESG funds own Amazon. Want to talk about a carbon footprint? So 75% of these ESG funds own Amazon, which has a massive carbon footprint. And by the way, Amazon is down this year, but they exclude ExxonMobil, which is like up like 11D percent this year. To me, it's just, it is fairy dust. Okay. Personal opinion, right? However, for people who do really say like, okay, Dave, got it. I disagree with you. I want it anyway. Great. This can do all of that, which is fantastic because if somebody says, I want it, I can say, I don't agree with you, but we can still help. We can still do it. I still won't love it. You'll never get me to say I love it, right? But I think it's fantastic because if somebody does come in and say, okay, it's not so much that I want ESG, but I don't want telecom stocks or I don't want... I don't know, gambling stocks. Now I'm just picking stuff out of the air, right? Great. All of this can facilitate this. This is such a robust software platform that it can accommodate anybody's goals and objectives and wishes in terms of what they do or don't own. I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah, I I agree. And for those that do want ESG in their portfolio, and it remains the minority, about 15% of our our accounts have some sort of ESG component into their portfolio. But what we've learned is ESG is so specific to the client's personal preference. And what I mean by that is what's important to Joe, which is carbon footprint, I'm just hypothetically saying, Joe may not care about diversity and inclusion to just select another random ESG screen. And so we have the ability to screen out his portfolio from stocks that are the worst offenders from that carbon footprint theme, but not use any other ESG screens. And so the challenge with the package products, I think you mentioned ETFs or even mutual funds, is it's one size fits all. And that's, that's a real challenge because it's so personal preference driven that that one-size-fits-all approach just doesn't work. 
Right. That's my dig on the ESG thing, right? You hire an ESG manager and you're going to get their perspectives on things. And here's my free advice to a listener. Okay, Dave, I still want to be responsible with my investing. Okay. Idea. This may not fit everybody. Disclaimer. Go to the website, read everything. I'm covering my butt on this, right? But some advice. Have a great portfolio. Let a portfolio manage it to grow and do well. And then take some of your profits and donate it to charity. There you go. There's another way of getting around it, kind of like make yourself feel good, but not necessarily because I do think that people really impact, they create friction in a portfolio when they start to put ESG constraints on it. Just another idea. But, you know, the mutual fund thing too, I'll say this, the one size fits all, which is why I think the trio strat, the monument trio strategy using the O'Shaughnessy, the Canvas platform, this is something else that makes it really powerful too, because one of the not so well publicized or talked about detractors from a mutual fund or not a great benefit to the mutual fund is that it's this embedded tax situation, right? So you go out and you buy a share of a mutual fund, you are automatically buying all of the profits that have been accrued in that mutual fund. So let's just say you buy a mutual fund and that mutual fund owns Amazon and they bought it 10 years ago, right? So you're buying that tax liability, even though you just bought it today. So if that mutual fund sells Amazon, you're going to get a tax bill at the end of the year on profits that you didn't participate in. That's a big downside to a mutual fund. Here's what I'm scared about. And here's what I think is going to be the big, ugly envelope that people open up in the first quarter of 2023, if they're mutual fund investors. I think this year has probably been a really heavy redemption year with mutual funds and people saying like, I want out, right? The panic selling. Well, to meet those redemptions, those mutual funds are going to have to start selling securities that have been going up for a decade because the market has been bull market for a decade. And you are going to, if you sold your mutual fund, it's possible that you are, you have a 20% loss in your actual investment. And then you're going to get a freaking tax bill. Talk about the double whammy. And I think that's coming for a lot of people. That's some really good practical advice. We're a little bit past that stage now at this time of the year, but just something to be mindful of if you are purchasing mutual funds. Be mindful of when you actually purchase them because it's usually around this time of year that those gains start to come through. So might look to, if you're looking at a specific mutual fund, you might wait on the timing to, you know, into next year. So that way you're not hit with those gains because as you said, you're buying into the gains of the fund. But back to your comments earlier, Pat, on ESG, and let's just toss ESG aside. You talked about, you know, quote unquote, off the shelf products like an ETF. Is this a fair analogy? At least I kind of have this in my head that if you're using a, a trio portfolio, it's powered by the Canvas platform here. We're almost, in essence, creating a client's customized ETF. That's not an ETF wrapper. I don't want to I don't want to confuse anyone. We're not actually creating an ETF for you. It's almost a de facto ETF type structure for a client in that we're able to control the timing and magnitude of taxes in addition to having these customizations in the portfolio, whether it's certain factors, indices you're, you're allocating to, ESG preferences, or more practically for other clients who might work for a publicly traded company and have concentrated positions, hey, please don't own any of my company's stock. So is that a fair characterization of canvas type portfolios. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. And I think when you think about through a lens of the arc of innovation, for lack of a better term, 
you go back a hundred years, you had the invention of the mutual fund, which was a, a great advance for the retail investor, allows them to access a broadly diversified portfolio of stocks pretty cheaply and efficiently. And then you had, call it 25 years ago, the advent of the ETF, which takes that concept of the mutual fund and adds a greater degree of tax efficiency. And then fast forward a few years after that, you know, you have the direct indexing birth, which gave the highest largest households from a net worth perspective, the ability to own the underlying stocks at scale. And custom indexing, I think, is really the next portion or the next iteration of that theme where, to your point, you are going to have the ability to customize your portfolio for the amount of passive versus active strategies. Do so with a tax overlay on it where you will be able to tell us exactly how much in taxes I want this account to pay every year. You'll be able to transition that portfolio and stage that transition, as we mentioned a few moments ago, over however many number of years that you and your client are comfortable with from a tax realization. We call it a tax pain threshold, you know, internally, where we'll stage that transition over potentially a number of years, and then customize it for individual preferences. So I think that flexible backbone is an important aspect to the offering where it fits really nicely in that arc of innovation. It's really where the industry is is headed. Well, we're coming up on our wrap-up question. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you to close us out here and tell us, is there is there anything new on the horizon or any, anything coming up with Canvas that's going to be new and exciting? Can you tease us out with a little bit of Hey, coming up next, here's season two of Canvas for Monument and the Trio Portfolio. Yeah, what I think we're really excited about is Canvas is primarily in an equity solution, but coming down the pike through our ownership from Franklin Templeton, we're going to be able to access different strategies that fall under the Franklin Templeton umbrella, one of those being municipal SMA ladders. So we'll we'll be able to integrate individual municipal bonds into the portfolio, blend that with your equity exposure, do it all in one separately managed account and have that tax and preference overlay over that entire allocation, have one portfolio solution in one account encompassing many different aspects of the overall portfolio. So really excited about that innovation and we're going to continue to iterate and build and increase the offering. That's great. That sounds exciting. Excited about bonds. Who would have thought? I know, right? Exactly. Woo! <laughs> That's great. Well, hey, Pat McStay, thanks so much for having us on. I'm sorry we didn't get to the question that the dogs wanted to ask about 10 minutes ago, but we'll bring them on next time and see if we can get some more questions from them. But this has been great. Thanks for coming down. You came down from Connecticut. That's not an easy lift. So thanks so much for coming down here and being a part of this and really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and hear more about Canvas and O'Shaughnessy. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and really appreciative of our partnership. And thank you very much. The previous presentation by Monument Wealth Management LLC, Monument, was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice for Monument or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Monument is neither a law firm nor accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of this content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he should will experience a certain level of results if Monument is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. A copy of Monument's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at monumentwealthmanagement.com.